I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host, and we have finally made it to the Part 3 Investor Day Kilowatt something extravaganza. I'm not really sure. Um, I've spent a lot of time listening to Elon and the team, and my brain is jello. I don't have much left over in terms of brain power. Like this is, this is a lot. But what I do have is I have thanks. I have thanks for people who help contribute to the show. So I want to thank Tommaso, Ryan, Chip, Chris, who's been supporting this show since April 2019. Cause we have two Chris's and a Christopher. I, I don't know how to, we have two Chris B's even. So I don't know how to say thank you to both of you, but thank you every, every Chris. Thank you. Sierra, who my Sierra, who I saw today and maybe we'll have on the show soon. Dale, Don, Cameron, Nate, Mark, James, and David. Thank you everyone for supporting the show. In February, we lost a few people and that's okay. Like I get it. Like people come and they go and sometimes they support for a little bit and then they stop and then they'll come back and support a little bit longer. And that's totally okay. Um, but I do want to thank everybody who has either, who is either currently supporting the show or has ever supported the show, even if it was for a month and you still listen to the show. Thank you so much for supporting this show. I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. Okay. Um, here's the deal. Elon and Tesla are being sued by shareholders over Tesla's claims about autopilot and full self-driving safety. Shareholders are seeking unknown damages on behalf of shareholders of the company from February 2000, February 19th, 2019 to February 17th, 2023. And this is just basically based off of a National Highway Transportation Safety Administration. Um, I, I don't know if it was a requirement or they forced them to do this, but basically Elon and the team had to admit that Full self-driving is level two. And when we get into the news next week, and yes, there will be news next week. I can't remember what I've said over the last couple of days, but next Friday we'll have news. When we get into that, I'll, I'll give you more information, but I do want to let you know that that is happening. All right, let's get into part three here. Let me scroll down to get to my notes. First up, we're going to have a short clip 
with Drew Bagliano, and he's going to talk about cell production. First, I thought I'd just provide a little bit of an update on cell production. So remember Battery Day, we showed this video with the spoon uh, and how we went from dry powder to film. Let's just say there's no spoon now. So uh, many of you in this room saw uh, this on your tour today, but you know, here is our dry electrode machine here in Texas, one of the lines we have installed here. Fully automated, no spoon from powder and foil in to coated electrode out. Um, uh, from, from a peak productivity perspective, per tool perspective, this is over 20 times the productivity of the tools that we showed folks on the tour uh, in Cato back in Battery Day. So we've made a lot of progress on the, the key, one of the key parts of the cell manufacturing process. Um, and we've also continued to focus on uh, refining the way we make cells and the factories that the cells go inside. Um, we, as you can see on this chart, from typical 2170 cylindrical cells to 4680, we made a huge leap which is basically a 5x reduction in the factory footprint um, and volume volume and footprint. Um, And then from going from what we did in Fremont and our pilot line to Texas, we improved further and we're improving again when we go into Nevada. And what this actually represents is a a series of actions taken by a very integrated, holistic uh, design team across the product design, the manufacturing design, the process design, the equipment design, and the facility design. They all need to work together to make this happen. Um, and you can see on the bottom, just as an example of simple, simplicity, uh, up investment down and scaling up, you know, parts, we've reduced the number of parts in the cell, uh, the number of processes, significant reduction in the number of processes. Um, and, and collaborating with those five design groups, we've been able to, uh, uh result, you know, build a, end up in a, with a factory that's 10 times smaller volumetrically which means it's uh, faster to get uh, built. It's much lower capex per gigawatt hour output. Um, and we can go and scale, you know, to our objectives of, you know, 240 total terawatt hours, one terawatt a year of stationary storage and 20 million vehicles a year uh, w- w- with the scalability that is required to, to achieve our goals. Um, and we're not just looking at the cell factory itself, but also upstream materials where necessary. Uh, what you see uh, here is a, the rendering of the 50 gigawatt hour a year <clears throat> Corpus Christi lithium refinery that we've already broken ground on here in Texas. Uh, the, the facility will start commissioning by the end of 2023 uh, this year. Um, this is a good example of, of something where we're, we're, we're basically talking about breaking ground and, and, and starting commissioning within 10 months uh, and with, with, with actual production within 12 months. That's the target, similar to what we did in Shanghai. Uh, again, the result of collaboration and, and, you know, internal execution of construction, um, in partnership with local communities. Uh, 30, this, this site is 30 minutes from the Corpus Christi ports located directly on rail. Uh, the process route we're taking is a direct soda ash leach of the input material, which means there's, uh, no acid roasting. Uh, we don't have any of the sort of waste products associated with, uh, uh, an acid roasting step. Um, we're designed to consume uh, lithium spodumene, which is a very commonly traded lithium rock, um, but it is flexible to other feeds from primary and secondary sources. Um, and similarly, we're working on our cathode facility here in Texas. Maybe you've seen it as you're driving around, which is a 60 gigawatt hour a uh, year uh, cathode facility behind uh, the main building here. 10 month build time there as well. Uh, the, insta- the equipment's being installed for the first line as we speak and we'll be commissioning starting next quarter. So we're, we are doing this where we need to. Uh, our plan is not to do it always. There are lots of competent companies out there. 
Um, but we are also trying to sort of accelerate the pace of the industry by trying some new things that are a little bit more scalable um, and, and de-risking certain innovations that improve productivity per, uh, in terms of CapEx per gigawatt hour and things like that. All right. I don't think that I knew that Tesla had a lithium refinery in Corpus Christi, Texas. Maybe I did, but 50 gigawatt hours of lithium coming out of the, that area by 20, by the end of 2023. So that's great. It was nice to hear as they're able to scale the, the sales up, the factory, uh, footprint shrinks. So I, I like that. We're hearing a lot about efficiency and deleting processes that aren't needed and, and making things smaller. So that's great. And the 4680 cells are a work in progress, but it sounds like they're getting there. Next up, we're going to hear about Tesla Energy's retail future. And I'm going to be honest, I cut the heck out of this clip because it was very long. One thing about uh, Drew Bagliano, he's very interesting to listen to, but he likes to talk a lot. So um, I, I had to cut some of his clips down quite a bit. Maybe some of you know about this sort of retail plan we have here in, in Texas. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about how that all fits together. So Tesla Electric really unlocks the full value of distributed energy and storage products. So um, it enables our customers to become their own utility. The data on the page is from our South Australia uh, virtual power plant, um, another Tesla electric uh, uh, setup that we have. Um, over, the, over 2022, it's 5,000 customers that we, we have the data for. You can get a sense for what's happening. So just if they were being provided default utility service and you looked at the cost of serving them that electricity, on average, $140 a month. If they all had solar and power wall, but the solar and power wall wasn't interacting with the grid, wasn't participating in the energy market, the cost of serving that customer would go from, would, would have, go from $140 a month to $70 a month. If you, if Tesla Electric is operating, um, those assets in an intelligent way to benefit the grid, uh, Tesla Electric being basically a software that we developed out of AutoBidder for the purposes of, of, of these distributed energy resources, we can actually pay the customers to bring their, their, their energy services to the grid. That's what happened in Australia last year. And Australia is a little bit of a special case. They're, they represent the future, South Australia in particular. Solar and wind supplied 70% of South Australia's energy in 2022. That compares to 30% in Texas and 35% in California. But it, but this is a, this is an indication of where this is all headed of both centralized and distributed, um, storage resources, uh, providing the, the, the key to unlocking fully renewable grids. And Tesla Electric is the retail plan that we're using to bring that to bear for our, our, our customers that have our products. Um, and you know, this is how we're rolling it out. Uh, first, as it exists, uh, it's available for, uh, in Texas for people who have power walls in their homes. But we need to extend beyond that. Over a billion people live in markets with competitive retail electricity. And there's over a two trillion in annual energy spend in these markets. This is a huge opportunity. And the, our intention is to bring this to, you know, market by market in the same way that we, we've approached Tesla insurance where we can bring value to our customers to reduce their total cost of ownership of our products. So actually what we're going to do next, and this is pretty exciting here in Texas, uh, by, by this summer, we're going to offer a, a retail electricity plan to people who have our cars where they can have unlimited overnight home charging for $30 a month. This is part of reducing the total cost of ownership of our vehicles. And the reason why we can do this is because Texas has a ton of wind. And in Texas, the wind blows at night. 
So actually serving these customers with electricity at night for their cars is the best thing to do for everyone. And so this is a way to incentivize people to charge at home at night directly from renewable power. It's part of the grand master plan we talked about at the beginning. Um, so we're, we're, we're very excited about this. Um, and we do see this similar to Tesla insurance, as I said, as further reducing the total cost of ownership of electric vehicles. So putting this all together, we're really at the beginning of this uh, massive ramp in energy storage deployment. And yeah. Yeah, reflecting back on the on the master plan, we talk about tens of terawatt hour needing tens of terawatt hours of stationary storage. So, we have our sights set on annual production rates of one terawatt hour, which is twenty five x our capacity at Lathrop. Uh, in the in, in in the near term, we see we see really strong demand for the Megapack product over a hundred gigawatt hours per year uh, in twenty twenty three, and growing by over a hundred gigawatt hours per year over the next few years. So the demand is there. Um, and naturally, as we continue to focus on cost and speed and value, the things that we've mentioned, it's clear we need to build more capacity and we need to ramp it quickly. So while the challenge is big, it's also a huge opportunity for Tesla. It's a huge opportunity for, for the Megapack business. Um, and I'm excited to see the impact that it's going to make on our grid transition. I love that Tesla is able to pay customers in Australia. That is fantastic. Uh, I'm not sure how many other countries that could happen happen in in a meaningful way. Uh, not because I don't think it's possible. It's just because I, I just don't know the ins and outs of every country and energy and and what their needs are versus what they can produce. So uh, I think that's pretty cool, though. I would love to get paid to have solar panels and a power wall, even if it was just a couple of dollars a month. One of the things he talked about was the Texas plan for overnight home charging for $30 a month. You get unlimited overnight home charging for $30 a month. Here's my question to everybody who's got an EV out there. Does this make sense to you to, to pay $30 a month for this? If you only have one EV, I can see this maybe being an advantage if you have two EVs, but if you only have one, is it better to just not do that? I'm, I'm curious. Uh, email me, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E at 918digital.com. All right. Uh, we had some folks from HR. They talked about Tesla employees in a really positive way. They put, you know, the spotlight on the employees. I think that's great. And Tesla has 129,000 total employees. And like we mentioned in one of the other episodes, 65,000 about of those are um, manufacturing employees. Pretty impressive. Next up, we are going to talk to or not talk to. We're going to hear from Zach Kirkhorn. And he's going to talk about how Tesla is removing costs. And I chopped this one up as well. All right, so this is our last section of our prepared remarks today. Um, we'll kind of take what we've discussed today and summarize it at the corporate level for our financials. Maybe before I jump into the details here, we've never done an investor day as a company. We've never brought our leadership team out and asked them to talk about the things that they're working on. So, you know, I feel very fortunate to be able to work alongside this group of people and support their teams. And I also just want to thank them. They're in a room in the back listening to this for all of the work that they put into today and getting the company to where it is today. So thank you to the Tesla team. When we were preparing for today, folks were asking, well, Zach, what should we talk about? 
And really, the only guidance we gave folks is, well, talk about the things that you're working on and talk about it in the context of the master plan. And what did almost everybody talk about today in great detail? All of the work that they're doing to take cost out. Because in this industry, in this business, you survive or you die based upon the ability to manage your costs. And so I'd like to talk about cost as well. If we look at our longest-running scale production product, this is the Model 3, we reached 5,000 cars per week, which was our design capacity in mid-2018. Uh, and since then, we've taken 30% of cost out of this product. And there's two points I want to make about this. The first is that cost reduction, as you have heard throughout the course of the day, is deeply ingrained in our culture. And I think one of the most important reasons why we are here today as a company. The second point that I want to make is that when we're working on cost reduction, it's easy just to take cost out and make our products worse. But we have to take cost out and improve our products at the same time. This is the hard thing to do, but it's the necessary thing to do to continue to move forward. And if you look at a version of a Model 3 that we've built today, and you compare it back to a Model 3 that we built in 2018, there's a long list of improvements that we put into the car while also taking cost out of the product. Cost reduction doesn't just come from one place. There's no silver bullet here. And we pushed the boundaries on volume with the Model 3 program, increasing volume 3x over this period of time. We've improved productivity. So in our Fremont factory, we are twice as productive now as we were in mid-2018. We've made a lot of progress on overhead efficiencies and product improvements, as we've discussed, and a long list of other things, including localization, our factory in Shanghai. And as we ramp up volume and as we find efficiencies, we work with our suppliers to do the same. And that leads to material cost reductions that improve the affordability of our products. And as we look forward to our next-gen vehicle, our target is to reduce 50% of cost, and we've talked about that a bit earlier today. From Going from the, the Model S and X platform to the 3 and Y platform, we took out 50% of cost, so the task here is to do it again. And this is very important because as we improve affordability, the number of customers who have access to our products dramatically increases. And as we link this back to our master plan, it enables an exponential growth in our volume with linear reductions in the cost of our products. The second point I'll make here is that, and again, cost reductions don't come from any single one place. And so you can see the buckets here on the vehicle side, battery and powertrain, manufacturing cost reductions, and others. These buckets are relatively equal in size. And so in order to take 50% of the cost out of the product, we have to go through everything. But more importantly than just the cost of the car up front, when we're transitioning to a sustainable economy, particularly with vehicle ownership, it's really important to think about the lifetime cost of, a, of the products. And uh, this chart here is showing what the total cost of ownership per mile is over the course of five years. And we have to think about financing costs, insurance costs, the cost of power. Drew talked a little bit about that with the plants that we're doing in Texas, wear and tear and maintenance on the cars, et cetera. And we're already at a place today in the U.S. where a base Model 3 on a cost-per-mile basis is less than a Toyota Corolla, which is the highest-selling car in the world. 
And as we move towards our next-gen platform, we will continue to reduce this. And as we work on robo-taxi variants of this platform, this cost will come down even further. And so this is a product that has that we expect to have substantially lower cost per mile than the highest volume products in the world. So all of this work on cost reduction is extremely important because we have a lot of money to spend ahead of us to achieve our goals uh, within the master plan. So we've mentioned over the course of the day today 20 million annual vehicle production as our target, one terawatt hour of annual energy storage production, and then expanding cell production, service, and charging in line with the growth of those other businesses. And so we've estimated what we think the total cost to get there will be, and there's certainly error bars around these numbers as uh, as we continue to progress and innovate, but of this, we've spent about $28 billion of that so far in the history of the company. And maybe this total investment looks large. I actually think it's quite small relative to our ambitions, and if you look at our 2022 operating cash flows and you you just say, well, let's assume some modest growth to that, maybe not all that much, uh, if you're being conservative, but the ability to pay for this level of investment uh, from the forecast that we have is, is very achievable for us. So to wrap up the finance portion of the presentation today, a uh, couple of key messages I just want to leave you all with here is that we use innovation at an intense level to drive costs down and improve the efficiency of the business. And the reason this is so important is it allows us to improve product affordability. And this is particularly the case when we move to our next generation platform. Improving affordability allows us to comfortably make investments that grow volume, that volume generates cash that then allows us to make more investments. And as we integrate that going forward, you know, it's our belief as a leadership team here at Tesla that we're going to achieve unprecedented scale in the manufacturing space. And this is what's ultimately required to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right. I really like hearing about this stuff, and hopefully you did too. He did talk about a bunch of other financial stuff that isn't appropriate for this show, so I cut it out. But 30% of the cost was removed from the Model 3 since its launch in 2018. That is very impressive. And they did this all while improving the product. Um, and how did they do it? Well, the volume growth, they were able to scale up and reduce those costs improve productivity, overhead efficiencies, product improvements, engineering changes, localizations, and supplier scale. That is fantastic. Zach talked about uh, what kind of investment they need to make in order to hit their goals of 20 million annual vehicles a year, one terawatt of, of energy a year, and expand their cell production. So this is going to cost Tesla somewhere around 150 to $175 billion is what they need to invest to make this happen. Currently, to date, they've invested $28 billion. That's pretty impressive. And this is all funded by operating cash flow. Now, in the past, they've had loans and things like that, but I think that what he means is currently. All right, next up, we're going to get to the questions section. Our first question is, uh, when are we going to get the next generation vehicles? So let's go ahead and listen to that. It's uh, Rod Lash with the Wolf Research. Um, very exciting plans about the uh, the next generation vehicle and powertrains and, and batteries. I was hoping you can maybe talk to us a little bit about the timeline for deploying this, and it sounds like it's more than just a vehicle. This is a kind of a paradigm change on how vehicles are assembled, how uh, batteries are put together, and, and everything. And does that also just get reconfigured into everything that you do? So the Model Ys that are being built here will be built very differently in the future. Maybe just give us some feel for what happens from here and what's the timeline for implementation. Well, I'll talk a little bit about that, but. Um, it, broadly speaking, the most profound architectural changes will be in future vehicles. Um, retooling a factory means bringing the factory down for an extended period of time. And uh, that's, that we prefer not to do that, I think. Um, but, we, but there are variants in, in how Model Y is produced. So we've got 
uh, variants where there's a rear casting, uh, where there's a front and rear casting, and we have the uh, structural battery pack. Um, and then there are a number of smaller improvements that occur. But um, I think for, for really, really big changes, those would be future vehicles. Um, yeah, I don't know. You guys want to add? Lars, maybe? Me? Yeah. So, I mean, as far as, yeah, I agree with you 100%, Elon. It's, it's, it's really easy to put innovations in new vehicles, but long term, we'll obviously bring them back. We've always talked about that, but we don't want to take our factories down. As far as the timeline goes, um, you know, we're going to go as fast as we can left to right. Uh, as always, you know, Elon alluded to the fact that, um, Mexico will build our next end vehicle, but we will also be doing that in our other plants. Um, and so it's really about, getting them all up and running. Um, we expect that to be a huge volume product. And um, yeah, we're going to move that quickly over the next couple of years. So I watched this presentation twice. Uh, once was just all the way through as Tesla was streaming it. And the second time was preparing for this show. And oftentimes I had to go back and make sure I heard things correct. And then I had to look stuff up because I'm dumb. Um, I did not put together that the next generation vehicles would start in Mexico. I did hear that the next generation vehicles would be built in Mexico, but I didn't put together that they, they would start there. So I wonder, cause we have a bifurcated uh, model Y, you know, Elon talked about it and it's probably trifurcated if that's actually a word, but if there's several different versions of the model Y that are being built currently, I wonder if there'll be a Model Y line in Mexico, a Model 3 line in Mexico, and those vehicles will be using that next generation uh, technology. And then Tesla will be building those ne that next generation of vehicles alongside those legacy vehicles, which is weird to say that the, legacy, the Model Y and the Model 3 are now considered legacy vehicles. I'm really excited to see what Tesla comes up with. Next up, we're going to hear from the team on bi-directional charging. Thank you. It's um, Philippe Bouchard, Jeffries. Um, I've got two questions. The first one, when I think about in this industry, everybody wants to be Tesla. Every car maker is trying to emulate what you're doing. Well done. The one thing they don't do is um, focus on having as much growth as possible with as few models as possible. So I'm just trying to understand, as you aim for 20 million units in 2030, how many models do you think you need to get there? And how does it fit into your drive to hyperscale? Um, how do you manage this? And also the fact that probably consumers at some point don't want to see a Tesla or the same Tesla at every street corner. So I'm just trying to get your, your, your sense of that. And my other question is on... Um, on bi-directional, I mean, you, you talked a lot about making, you know, a world more renewables and better usage of cars. I think bi-directional charging is one way of better using cars, but you seem to have been reluctant about doing that in the past. So I'm just wondering what your <laughs> latest views are on the topic. <clears throat> sure. On bi-directional, um, it, it, uh, it wasn't like a conscious decision to not do it. It just wasn't a priority at the time, I think is maybe the way to think about it. Um, as we looked, as we continue to improve the power electronics in our vehicle, um, we've found ways to bring bi-directionality while actually reducing cost of power electronics in the vehicle. And as, as at all things Tesla, the, the goal is usually to get more for less. Um, and so 
Uh, we are in the middle of kind of like a power electronics retool, I would say, that will bring that functionality to our, all of our vehicles over the next, you know, two years, let's say. Um, but, but it's, it, yeah, I guess that's how I'll say there. Yeah. I don't think very many people are going to use bi-directional charging unless you have a power wall, because if you unplug your car, your house goes dark. And this is extremely inconvenient. Yeah, most of the value it comes in charging the car at the right time. It's not really about sending energy the other way. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if you have a power wall um, that can take the house load, then you can use the, the your car as supple, as a supplementary energy source to the power wall, and then you know you're not going to drive everyone crazy by unplugging your car um, and having the house go off. So, I think there's some value there as a supplemental energy source down the road. Uh, where if you have a power wall, you've not uh, diminished the convenience of, of of the people in the house. I'm going to be honest. I didn't love that answer by Elon. If you unplug your car, the house goes dead. Well, that's not entirely true because there are times when you just may want to offset the house during peak energy uh, times where you're going to pay the most amount of money. So maybe you do want to offset in those situations with your battery. And then in the event of an emergency, just the, having the ability to plug your car in if you don't have a power wall and get your family through the hottest or coldest parts of the day or, you know, be able to run the refrigerator or whatever, that's pretty valuable. And yeah, you, you might have to unplug your car and go somewhere else and charge it and bring it back, but that's okay uh, because it's better than the alternative, which is you know, like the snowpocalypse, which Sierra and Brad were in, and they ended up just sleeping in their car instead of being in the house that they rented. You know, um, here in Arizona, it would be absolutely awful if the power went out for uh, any length of time. And granted, I don't think I'd be able to run my air conditioners on it, but I could go to Home Depot, I could buy a small window air conditioner, and we can all just stay in one room. I mean, we can figure it out. So I don't think that I don't think that bi-directional charging is useless. Having said that, I don't love the idea of bi-directional charging. Uh, I, I think it's good for an emergency. I don't think it's good for everyday use. And I, I, that's my opinion. I do not base that in fact, but I would rather keep my battery for my car strictly for my car and uh, I'll degrade that over time by driving the vehicle, not by running my house unnecessarily on it. All right, we're at our final clip, and we are going to talk about dry battery electrode. So let's listen in. Alex Potter with Piper. Um, so I definitely want to ask Drew or, or anybody else up there uh, for an update on, on dry battery electrode, right? So if you're going to try to overcapacitize towards cells, um, scale a lot of this. Uh, clearly, there's a lot of moving pieces, and it's a complex sort of orchestra with the supply chain, but a lot of it comes down to dry battery electrode, at least to me. Um, so how are you trending? Uh, that was the most fascinating part of the factory tour for me, and looking through that window and seeing that, that this is clearly not a science project. Um, but anything that you're willing to disclose yields um, progress where you are today versus where you thought you were going to be. The, the dry electrode problem is, is really quite a hard problem. Uh, I mean, we acquired Maxwell really just for the dry electrode uh, technology, but uh, 
just just illustrates what a gigantic gap there is between something working at small scale and at large scale. Um, and we've had a, an extremely talented team of engineers working on scaling the dry electrode process and having it be reliable uh, and consistent. Uh, and we've been grinding hard, literally and figuratively, on this <laughs> for quite a while. Um, it seems likely that we will be able to scale it to volume this year. So it sounds like it's coming along. Uh, they're figuring things out, and I think that's fantastic. All right, everybody, that is it for me this week. Can you believe that we got this episode done in under 35 minutes, provided I don't continue talking for very long to wrap this all up like I'm doing right now? I want to thank each and every one of you for listening and being patient with me as um, I release these on a daily basis. I know this is a lot of information, and some of you aren't going to listen to this, and that's totally fine. If you did listen to this... Send me an email, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com, and I will send you uh, kilowatt stickers. One of the stickers was this, was, was, <laughs> one of the stickers was designed by Allison Sheridan, and the other was designed by me with help from Allison and Steve Sheridan. So let me know if you finished all three episodes, and I'm taking you for your word. Send me an email. I will send you two stickers. And Mark, I sent your stickers today, just so you know. I got to figure out a new way to end this show because it's always awkward. So I, I'm going to try something out here. And this is just off the top of my head because I just decided to do it right this second because I couldn't think of how to end the show, as you can tell, because I'm still talking. But uh, for the Kilowatt Podcast, I am Bodie Graham. Good day. Was that lame? It was lame. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.